Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Investigates. I'm your host, April Glover. In today's episode, we're doing a deep dive into the dark and fascinating world of cults. From Jonestown to Heaven's Gate, cults have had a devastating and sometimes fatal impact on those who join them. If you harbour a borderline morbid fascination with cults, you're certainly not alone. Countless movies, novels, plays, podcasts and articles explore the psychology behind why people join cults and why people start them. One of Australia's most infamous cults was simply known as The Family. The Family was headed by a Victorian woman named Anne Hamilton Byrne, who at her height during the 60s and the late 80s, ran the sadistic apocalyptic sect with hundreds of members. Anne was as beautiful and charismatic as she was delusional and dangerous. Anne, who was born in 1921 as Evelyn Grace Victoria Edwards, was a yoga teacher turned cult leader who convinced her followers she was Jesus Christ reincarnated. Her ethos was simple. The world was going to end, and the only way you could be saved is if you joined the family. Along with her husband, Bill, Anne started recruiting followers from a psychiatric clinic. She targeted middle-class professionals, some even with medical backgrounds, and essentially brainwashed them with her new-age spiritualism. And she didn't stop there. Anne acquired children through adoption scams or even through other members and injected them with LSD, as well as beating and starving them. They were not beaten. Never. Never. You'll have to be pretty good to see through that bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. It's lies. All of this horror happened tucked away in near secrecy right outside the busy streets of Melbourne in Victoria. Our guest on the show today is New Zealand-born author J.P. Pomeray, whose new novel In the Clearing was inspired by the disturbing doomsday cult. J.P. did extensive research on the family and cults in general, and his expertise is second to none. He joins us on today's episode. So JP, you are a bit of an expert on one cult in particular, the family. In your new book, In the Clearing, you did some pretty intensive research on what has been described as the most notorious cult in Australia. And it was the inspiration for In the Clearing, wasn't it? So what is it about cults and the idea of cults that fascinates you? And what is it that drew you to the family as inspiration? Well, I think, and this goes back to Call Me Evie, my first novel, um, I think I've always been pretty obsessed with why good people do bad things. And I think that just as an extension of that is why do people join cults and how do they get involved in this? And I think most normal people uh, 
they look at cults and they, they tell themselves they would never join or they'd never find themselves in that position, which I think is, is a delusion, I think, um, in the right circumstances. Most people uh, are prepared to believe fantastical, ridiculous things um, as long as you know the conditions are right and as long as it's sort of a gentle escalation. It's, I think we see these extreme acts from cults and we're like, you know, I, I would never go down that path, but it always starts as something a lot smaller and it sort of grows. And so I was particularly fascinated with the family cult um, led by Anne Hamilton Byrne. And yeah, I, 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 just, I think it was a number of things, but also the fact that this is one of the only New Age cults and certainly the most notorious New Age cult that was led by a woman and founded by a woman. So that was another sort of aspect of this I found particularly um, fascinating. Mm. And as you said, most cults start with a single person who has some kind of bizarre dream to create a perfect community or in the family's case, a doomsday cult. And in almost every case, of course, it goes wrong. Can you tell me a bit about the origins of the family? You mentioned Anne Hamilton Byrne and who started it. The thing with the family was they attracted these extraordinarily intellectual and academic and um, you know privileged uh, upper-middle-class members. So they're quite a different New Age cult where most people who were joining things like Jonestown, for instance, although there was a pretty diverse range of people who were part of Jonestown, um, they, you know, these people were really privileged. They weren't um, escaping necessarily a capitalistic society that um, they'd grown, um, you know, wary of, or it wasn't sort of, you know, fueled by anti-war, um, you know, sentimentality. So it was sort of like these these people were joining purely because of her, because of her charisma, because they just believed that she had this sort of power, then that kind of grew this, I think, this aura she had. Everyone described her as like, you know, so beautiful that you couldn't look away and and other cliches like that, particularly the men in the cult. Um, And I think that sort of aura grew that her explanation became um, she's like the reincarnation of Jesus, as Mm. they, they all are. Anne's ubiquitous hold over her many members is hard to describe. Not every person lured into cults are vulnerable or gullible. Anne's followers were intelligent, educated people who just wanted a purpose. She told her followers that they were going to save the world after an apocalypse. What more purpose could a person need? In total, Anne had around 28 children in her care and nearly 500 members at its peak. A mistress of deceit, Anne was able to put her followers under a spell. They handed over their money, homes, and even their children. And of course, Anne had convinced them she was essentially a god. In their eyes, she was a mishmash of Buddha, Jesus, and Krishna. But was she really that evil to begin with? Certainly not. Are you evil? Well, what do you call evil? Well, I think one of the tough things about writing in the clearing was trying to, I guess, work out what her motivation actually was mm. at, at the beginning, what it was, because she, I'm not sure if she was escaping something. Um, she wasn't necessarily building like a utopia. Lots of the doomsday stuff came in, but I think that came in um, to kind of, I guess, have greater control over over her members. I think that was something that wasn't sort of devised in the beginning, but kind of that emerged as a necessity for her maintaining that control and yeah I, I don't know I just can't 
I, it's still to this day I don't have a very clear understanding of why in the first place she started to do to have this. I think she was taken by some uh, like Eastern mysticism and mm. and yoga and um, and all sorts of you know things attached to that. But ultimately, yeah, I, I don't. I can't give an answer to that. It was like this sort of cancerous growth that just kept getting bigger and consuming um, more and more people until Mm. fortunately and eventually they shut it down. Well, the psychology behind why people are lured into cults and why people start them is certainly fascinating. Do you think Anne or other people that have started cults had wicked or evil intentions in the first place or did it just grow from there? Yeah, and it's that thing, like no one's evil, no one thinks they're evil, Like, but I think I think she was uh, extraordinarily morally flexible. I think the means by which they acquired children was, as has been well documented now, very dubious. She was coercing young mothers into handing over children. There was forged adoption papers. They were, by a host of different means, snatching children essentially taking children from otherwise much safer environment what she did was evil if she's an evil person that's i guess it's not for me to say but overdosing children on lsd that's pretty evil i think it's hard to divorce her from her acts and say whether or not she's evil but it's i would definitely suggest that she qualifies as probably the worst cult leader and certainly the history of australia but she would be up there as one of the worst Mm. and in my research and what i was reading about cults she's she's up there for sure So you mentioned there were children that she'd acquired through, I guess, less than legal means. Um, How were these children treated? So they they sort of had this regimented existence. And by the way, I read the book The Family, which was a really Mm. well recent. You know, that's that was sort of my bible when I was writing it. In that book, there is a this sort of schedule, and it's very very regimented. One night a week, they could watch TV for an hour as well. So they weren't completely removed from society. There was much more interaction in the actual family than what is in in the clearing. So, you know, they could interact with children from outside, but they were so brainwashed that they never really thought to leave until they were in their mid-teens. So I think some of the girls when they were 16 were taken by the idea of exploring the outside world. Because if you are on a diet of information that is designed to keep you caged, essentially, Mm -hmm. or contained, then when you do sort of get a taste of the outside world, you're not going to like it. You don't think it's what you would want. And then I think there was times when some of the children were at dances from memory with some people outside and met some people their age from the outside world that were quite happy and normal and stuff. And mm. I think that's when those questions start to, to rise about what life actually is like outside. To answer your question, I think in the beginning, she didn't start with a dozen children or whatever. Mm. She she started with one or two and then members started handing them over. Whether or not she had any of her own children, I'm not sure. There's speculation that she was she couldn't have children and so that was part of this thing of acquiring them. It's, it's quite interesting when you, when you think how did escalate and how so much LSD was being used in the medical world at the time that maybe they didn't think it was so bad um, Mm. accessing this astral plane or whatever, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, so I think it was just that sort of slow escalation and so much of that was control. They, you know, they were really quite fit, the children. They would go for runs and they'd play games and they had they were educated. They they had teachers come in and teach them and things. But um, ultimately, I would say it was that thing where the water's getting hotter and hotter until it's boiling, and then they've sort of lost control.
As time went on, it seems Anne realised she needed a stronger hold on her followers. Her brainwashing slowly turned into physical torture. The horrific abuse her members, mostly the children, endured ranged from senseless beatings, starvation, water dunking and forced drug use. Anne's drug of choice was LSD, a chemical hallucinogenic which distorted the world of the user, making them feel euphoric, excited, confused, in awe of everything and frightened all at once. Anne's quote-unquote children were forced to wear matching clothes, their hair was dyed bleach blonde and they were disciplined severely. If a child stepped out of line, they wouldn't be fed. Ex-members even recall Anne using a stiletto shoe to beat her younger, misbehaving followers. And if all that wasn't enough, the children were also regularly dosed with Valium to keep them docile. All of the family members, particularly the children, didn't know a world outside the cult. Anne even had a motto. Unseen, unknown, unheard. But were they forced to stay? Were they really free to leave at any time? Well, there's that thing, you never leave a cult, and I think that's true. So I think there's always your fundamental psychological landscape shifts so much when you are, um, I think, in those environments. So no one really leaves, but then people escape maybe the tortures of living within that environment, and then they just have their own sort of, you know, psychological issues to deal with later in life. The Julian Assange thing, where his mum was involved in the family he was hanging out with the kids and things and then when she went to leave it was very difficult I think they were changing names and shifting around a lot I mean Scientology is probably let's face it is a cult (laughs) (laughs) and and you know like that's a really good pretty textbook example of control so they try to get all your secrets so it's a lot harder for you to integrate back in society because you're so terrified of what your family and friends and things will think and they follow you they actually follow you around they find out where you live and and so I think there was some of this with the family as well I think they didn't want people leaving they didn't want people talking to the media they didn't want people talking to their family about the experience at treetops or you know within the family so yeah I think it, there was that control but so much of it as you said is, is a psychological thing, mm-hmm. element as well. It's easy for us to say we'd never be tempted into the world of cults. But JP says cults are still a prevailing part of our culture. The people in the family were desperate to cling to an idyllic world, and once they were in, it was almost impossible to escape, physically or mentally. Those who were able to unravel themselves from Anne's mighty grasp say the true horrors of the family never truly left them. So do you ever really leave a cult? And you actually spoke to some ex-cult members during your research for In the Clearing. Who did you speak to? Um, so I spoke to one um, ex, ex-cult member. I mean, mm-hmm. it's and they weren't in the family. They were in a different cult. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, yeah, I mean, for her privacy, I obviously can't identify her. Sure. But, um, but that was, yeah, that was part of the research and that was without that access and without understanding what her life was like as a child um yeah this book definitely wouldn't exist and it was pretty confronting um you know it was it was a couple of hours and the entire time I was walking on eggshells not to say or do something that would be too distressing um for her so I think it was completely necessary you know something that I think about still think about a lot and I'm always thinking because her life will never be normal she'll never be able to function in society 
Um, she's constantly disassociating. She can't have relationships. She can't trust people. I'm always sort of thinking about that and imagining what that life would be like. But yeah, that was the main research mm. for um, certainly one of the characters in the novel. Yeah, that would have added incredible weight to your book. How did you incorporate her experiences into your writing or the characters' experiences? I think I learned many things about the cult she was involved in and how they how they sort of leverage that psychological kind of advantage. I guess that's maybe that's not the right word, but essentially, yeah, just just how they do gain that control. Um, I learned a lot about that, but I also learned the, that idea. That's where it really stuck that you can never escape a cult mm-hmm. because she's no longer in the cult but she sees them everywhere and haunted by it yeah she'll see people walking down the street and she swears she's seen them in the cult and they're part of the cult and so she's sort of you're right she's haunted by it and that paranoia or in the clearing that's you know one of the characters has real paranoia about a whole bunch of things and so I sort of wanted to capture that as well JP's book in the clearing was the result of extensive research on the family Anne, and the psychology behind why people join cults. After reading more and more on Anne, JP started to realise what it was about her that drew people in. Why people actually believed she was Jesus Christ reincarnated. But it didn't last forever for Anne. In 1987, a rebellious teenager finally escaped. It was 14-year-old Sarah Moore. Police swooped in on the family on August 14, 1987, and the children under her spell were finally saved. But Anne didn't face the justice she so truly deserved. She went on the run until police finally apprehended her in 1993 as she was hiding out in New York. Shockingly, Anne received almost no jail time and was only ordered to pay damages to ex-members for the psychological and physical abuse she caused. It was an accumulation of things. She actually ended up being charged with pretty minor Something offense. low yeah. level. I think yeah. it was like a few thousand dollars um, and time served for, mm. or whatever um, because it, they couldn't put the children on the stand because there's all sorts of ethics um, surrounding this. You know, if you put children up, especially back then, I think the rules have changed a little bit, but if you put children up before a defence attorney and being cross-examined, if they are that psychologically damaged, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you've got, you're going to cause a great deal more damage. So I think the police and prosecutors made this conscious ethical decision not to do that to protect the children because, um, you know, justice is important, but ultimately they wanted to protect the children and, and mm-hmm. save the children. She and her husband, I think his name was Bill, fled. They got tipped off. They had people in the arms of government and, and all sorts of places, and I think they were aware that the net was closing in, so they fled. She had uh, lots, lots of friends and property um, in the States. I think she was upstate New York from memory and that she got extradited eventually back to Australia. So she was arrested over there. She got sent back. I think Bill actually may have served slightly more time, maybe a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, she got off pretty much scotch-free. She had, um, or scot-free, sorry, she had, you know, all this property, all this money afterwards and then eventually she would succumb to dementia. But mm-hmm. she lived to 98. So she lived a long and comfortable life um, after that and that's again it's not exactly what justice looks like to me but you know fortunately um, they did manage to shut the shut down the activity before it went on too much longer do you think that means she got away with it in the end oh yeah yes yeah. absolutely and you know people 
ex-members were still visiting her right up until her death. She did have an estate, you know, that there were so many unanswered questions when the dementia got so bad that she no longer knew who she was. All of a sudden, so many secrets sort of went with her memory. And so that's a big part of justice as well, is answers. And when she died, although her memory was already gone, I think that was this sense of closure for lots of members. But also for me, it was, you know, there's so many unanswered questions still. Um, There was really no justice for her, but it's it's also that sort of closure and sense of closure. Many of the children have tried to work out who their parents were and where they mm. are and, and that sort of thing. And, and like I think most, if not all of them, have traced back who their parents were, who, who they were sort of taken from or adopted from. There are still so many questions that, that are unanswered. Um, and the family, the book, is the best account mm. for it. And it's it's this um, incredible piece of investigative journalism. But they even they couldn't get all the answers. Up until her death at age 97 in June 2019, a frail and elderly Anne Hamilton sat in her nursing home, battling dementia, but likely not battling her own guilt. When she passed away, many ex-members said it didn't offer the closure or emotional reparation they so desperately craved. Her cruel control and sadism is something they can never forget. Former Victoria Police Detective Lex DeMann who led the investigations into Anne and the family, summed it up after her death. She can rot, he said. The lives she affected and her evil deeds, I shed no tear, not one drop. Of all the crimes that I investigated, she is the most evil person that I've ever met. Thank you for listening to Investigates. If you'd like to pick up a copy of JP's novel In the Clearing, it's available at any good bookshop. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to tune in next week. Thank you and goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.